G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're all preparing to cast a vote on the proposal for a voice to the parliament to accompany change to the Australian constitution. And it may be that during the debate we are becoming quickly a nation divided. The polls suggest the no case has overtaken the yes case. And as momentum gathers in the months ahead, some will have genuine questions trying to understand the proposal. Wading through misinformation and disinformation is the big challenge in the public debate. And it may be that both sides will try to manipulate our understanding of the issues. As a Christian, we might be concerned about what misinformation campaigns may be doing to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, what about the church, including the local church in your very own local community, before and after the referendum battle? We've been open to present perspectives on all sides of the debate, where some have been pushing a yes vote and others are saying no. Well, our special guest today is the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. Gordon is Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society. He's also Chair of the Melbourne Anglican Social Responsibilities Committee. He wears a lot of hats, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Gordon, but uh, still Senior Minister at Yarraville Anglican Parish in Melbourne, and award-winning author and editor of 13 books, as well as Zadok Perspectives, Equip and the Engage Ethical Email. Gordon Priest. A special welcome back to 2020. Thanks very much, Neil. Good to be back. I hope I got all of that right, Gordon, and nothing was outdated in all of oh, that. I'm no but, longer uh, at Yarraville, but that's fine. Okay, all right. Uh, Gordon, let's start with some big picture perspectives, some thoughts, uh, even some feelings that you might have around what's happening with The Voice at this point. Uh, a nation divided before The Voice, after The Voice, uh, during the campaign. <laughs> what are you thinking about a nation divided right now? Well, I think um, certainly there's this potential for, for greater division. I think we are a, na- a nation, certainly with a very, with a big historical kind of legacy about of division in, in, um, in different ways. Um, and we've had, we've had some progress in terms of that in legislation in, in other ways since federation which um, basically was um, legislated um, with very strong division um, at that time. And we had the vote for um, for uh, recognition of Aboriginal people having the being citizens and having the right to vote in the 60s. That was that was progress. But um, I guess I would argue that there's need for need for more progress. But there's also need for care in the way we discuss the issues. Um, so, so speaking for my own organisation, for, for Ethos, um, yeah, our, our board has has decided that we will support the yes vote, um, but we will, and we've said all along, that we often try and put both sides to an issue on that, that we will have, and um, 
the the uh, the document I sent to you um, from Warren Munden, for instance, that that expresses a, a, the no perspective. Um, uh, Senator Price, also we have her. Um, we just received something from her um, that will go into our magazine in September that will come out um, about the voice. So we're trying to do. Um, ex express our own view, but also um, hear other views uh, that are also in both both of those people I've mentioned are Christians um, too, and so we want to recognise that we have ways in which we try and conduct these debates in civil sorts of ways, um, and so that's the way we're trying to operate. How do you feel, Gordon, about the emotiveness of the debate, uh, the fear of the unknown, uh, on certainly on the no case side, and uh, that may be really well founded, uh, the politicisation of the debate, which may be happening both sides. Uh, what are your feelings around the emotions that are now beginning to run quite high? Yeah, certainly the yeah the temperature's been turned up and. Um, I think a lot of that comes from fear of the unknown. And I think one of the basic things, and I'll tell a quick personal story about this, um, but in, is, uh, in Australian society, Aboriginals are about 27 to 3% of the population. So therefore, just purely numbers-wise, most people don't know um, either many or any Aboriginals. And just now, in my own situation, I have um, two adopted Aboriginal cousins, and but I had an experience even even then, like they they live a long way away from me, well over it's probably um, well over a thousand kilometres away, and I um, we would only get together, say family funerals, those sorts of times, and it was always lovely to catch up with them, but you know they were they were, were years apart. One time at Macquarie University, I was at an Aboriginal um, seminar um, in the education department, and I was coming out of this, and I heard a, a, a voice um, and saying, Gordon. And and I looked around, and at first I couldn't sort of um, recognise, or it had been a fair while, um, but it was actually my cousin. And it was in a crowd and everything, you know, and so those sorts of things, you know, where you're not expecting to catch up with someone. And I was quite embarrassed, you know, that I'd, that I'd you know, hadn't sort of, you know, had the instantaneous kind of um, recognition at that point. But it made me realise the importance of voice and, and of name and et cetera, et cetera. Now, um, uh, she was a, I'm not going to name her, um, but she did come from, um, yeah, the... The, the stolen generation, and um, she was a, she was adopted through that by my my uncle and aunt, um, and and um, but there's so much I don't know, so much I wish I knew, and 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 could find out more in relationship not only to her, but I think Aboriginal people, and I've 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 made real efforts over the years to try and do that, probably still not enough. I think our basic thing attitude should be like John Harris in his wonderful book. And John Harris is from my organisation. He's a previous director and wrote the two great books about sort of Aboriginals in relationship to Christians, One Blood, and then um, We Wish We Did More. And the first time I went to the Northern Territory and, and saw Indigenous people more in their own environment, at least, um, 
And and that was certainly my emotional sense that we, we wished we did more. Um, the Aboriginal, the, the missionaries did a great job in many ways, but they were people of their time. And he says, as someone who was a family member of those missionaries, he, he says, we wish we did more. And I think that captures it. And the question is, does this help us do more? Does it help us do more? And uh, let me ask you here, because this is an in, an interesting and important question, because there are only two responses that will come on a ballot paper for the referendum. It'll be mm. vote yes or vote no. Mm. Uh, it's clear that even the Christian community is divided here, and uh, there are some that will take that mm. guidance uh, from uh, Christian leaders. Others will think of uh, other Christian organisations who are taking different perspectives. But I can't help but uh, but feel, while there's yes and there's no, there's our Christian response, which may well be divided across either yes or no, but it is a historic and a present and a future context for where the church is walking alongside Aboriginal people. Any thoughts from you around the, the fact that here we are talking about this as Christians and uh, being appreciative yeah. of, uh, yeah, not enough was done in the past. Um, are we going to continue to repeat the same mistakes in the future? Yeah, thanks. It's a good, uh, very good question. I guess thinking back to something like, um, well, like the gay marriage debate, and I don't want to particularly get in there, but I just want to illustrate this as a way of, of, of debating. At the time um, when my, in my own parish, I, I think the, the, the parish, there, were, there, were quite, there was quite a range of opinion, and I think there would have been fairly, uh, if we were, it would have been very, very close. I wrote at the time in general um, and, 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 and spoke in the parish. Uh, at a at, there were people who'd have churches that had big banners up, like, you know, with yes or no in terms of that debate. And I said, I will not be putting banners up about this because our, all the promises of God have their yes and amen in Jesus. And that's where we stand, and our unity is fundamentally there. And whatever our perspectives in terms of this, we need to fundamentally keep that in mind. And and we were able to work through that as as a parish, based on that on that principle. Um, and I think that's a critical thing. I think in terms of the way Christians will need to um, debate this. That might may not carry so much so much water in the wider society, but um, in in terms of the way we operate, I think that's the way we've got to try and do that, and and that's part of the reason why why I did you know recognise it that um, Warren Mundine and and Senator Price, they're both Christians and there are there are Christian Aboriginals in in Parliament, and in fact, Aboriginals are the most Christian people group in the country, percentage wise and 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 probably church going wise, I think. So that's an that's a very important thing to remember, particularly as they. They eighty three percent or eighty percent in the two um, major polls last year um, say Aboriginals are um, in fact um, voting yes. Now that may change over time. We'll see what what develops. Um, now now the now the politicians part of the debate is sort of dying down a bit. Now it's it's sort of more over towards the people. 
One of those things that will be important, no doubt, uh, is whatever mark you put on the ballot form when the referendum is voted on, uh, you have to be able to trust the incumbent government uh, to deliver uh, what you think is fair and just for all Australians. Uh, Is there a sense here in which uh, if you are leaning towards yes right now, you're actually saying we'll trust Anthony Albanese and his government uh, to do uh, the right thing by Aboriginal Australians. And, and uh, But you know, a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not sure I do trust the Albanese government to do that. Any thoughts here around trusting governments? I mean, whether it's the Albanese government or whether any legislation around that might change if there's a change of government. But you've got to trust the government. And if you haven't got detail before a vote, how do you trust a government to do the right thing beyond? Um, just a quick quick comment on the last thing um, first. Um the detail issue is um, basic, basic referendums never have detail. It's it's very difficult to do a, a referendums are always framed in terms of relatively simple um, questions. Um, and the the detail there is detail there is that there is about it's almost three hundred pages um, that's been written. But I think part of the issue is how to how to how to get that out now in terms of um, now now it sort of moves out of parliament into a into a, a, a more a wider public education kind of process and dialogue process in terms of that but the actual way things are framed and if people do have that problem I, I would argue from a conservative kind of point of view that this is actually designed so that it frees um, Aboriginal affairs up from being um, a political football, so that's actually in the constitution. Now that means that that whatever the government is, you don't necessarily get a a sudden, you know, a a particular policy starts up, let's say in terms of Aboriginal health or something like that. And then the next government comes in and they they chop that and they get rid of that. It actually frees it up. So that is a point of constitutions that they go back to certain basic forms of recognition of the membership of the people of of a group um and even even the language when it talks about because there's various parts to this but there's there's treaty as well and that language when we think about it the the actual language of the ten commandments and the form that that is in in the ancient near east is like a treaty and and it's 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 a it's a treaty but well covenant is is the more directly christian language but it's framed in that kind of form of being like a treaty. So I think we need to work out how can we how can we do that um, in a way that preserves um, recognition and I think access for Indigenous people. Um, and access seems to be one of the areas that is more controversial. And and how do we how do we understand that um, so that we can so that we can vote appropriately and. And, um, and and I understand that there is uncertainty. Thirty percent of people apparently feel quite uncertain about it, or don't understand don't understand it. So that's that again is a is a real issue. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. This is twenty twenty with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest this hour is the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. He's Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society, 
uh, you're welcome to call us. In fact, I encourage you to. Uh, you might have your own thoughts, a question, a comment, even a critique for our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Uh, Gordon, just to pick up on uh, what we've begun to discuss the thought that there is perhaps even a unique contribution that the church, that Christians, have to make into this debate, this is an important dimension because not many people in the mainstream media will be talking about what sort of contribution the Christian church makes. But what are your thoughts around the importance of having a contribution powerfully into this space? Oh, I think it's it's very important. I I think... um Look, there, there are lots of Christian social welfare organisations and other groups that have, um, yeah, have expressed their, their view. Some have decided not to go and, you know, go either way, etc. Um, I think the, there are some Christians who have high profile who have expressed their view. So Stan Grant was one. And I think it's a great tragedy that Stan Grant has, has stood aside after getting... Um, Kind of being caught in the middle, in 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 some way. It's like he's 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 clearly a yes supporter, but he's conducted. I've seen him conduct things on Q and A um, where um, yeah people have been voicing the opposite view quite clearly, um, and and he's 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 treated them them well. But he is a, he is a, a, a quite a strong Christian, and he's a, he he talks a lot about his background on the mission, etc. etc. Um, but his his voice isn't being heard much now, um, sadly, because of the way he was he was treated. And but in when he resigned uh, about that, he he appealed in terms of the to the the media in terms of the kind of poison that was going around in different ways, and that he had experienced very personally himself, and and basically talked about love and how do we express that. And I think there are. Um, so I think he's a good example, um, yeah, as to how we, we ought to operate in terms of this. I think there's others also from some of the different, I think some of the politicians like Mr. Lisa from the Liberal Party, um, I think, and Frank Brennan are both uh, people with a lot of experience in this area. And uh, both, well, one's, one's, one's Jewish and one's, one's a Catholic priest in, in, in that order. But they've conducted themselves very well. They have some differences that they, that well, a similar concern, I think, about the actual voice part in relationship to Parliament and, and the concerns that some people have raised about that. They're both yeah, on the yes side, but they have some concerns that they're expressing. Um, so I think we need some people more like that and who are careful in terms of the way they are expressing things. And, and conducting them in very civil kinds of ways, and um, and uh, Frank Frank Brennan, someone I've I've seen in those kinds of debates, who I've seen act in very very Christ-like ways, being interrupted kind of constantly, you know, almost every every sentence, and um, and keeping his cool in the midst of that. So I'd, I'd commend him as as one person in terms of that. I, I also think there are a lot of Indigenous people who have. Um, they are very gracious and they are very and they are very forgiving. Um, and, and most Indigenous people that I've come across, and I think we need to. Um, but sometimes their voices get drowned out too, in the midst. And sometimes people on either side, yes or no, can be a bit self righteous 
and feel like, oh yeah, well, you know, you know, I'm 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 definitely in the right this way, and there's a bit of virtue signalling going on, and we need to look at our own hearts in terms of that, and 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 also look at models of the early Christians in the way, for instance, Acts 15, when they were deciding about whether Gentiles would be accepted into the church, and and this is a critical thing for the history of Christianity, the future of Christianity, and and um. And the, what they said is that it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And what they decided there was a certain basic, basic Jewish creation-based um, morals, values that needed to be accepted. Um, and, and as long as people accepted those, they would be accepted into the church and there would be fellowship between them. And, and that was a great, great step forward. And I think we need to think about how to express those things like the early church and in church councils. That set a precedent on lots of different issues through church history as to how we operate. But it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The us is critical. It's not just me. It's us and iron sharpening iron But in, in uh, our discussions that we have. Well, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take, uh, see if we can get in a call or two before the news. Sue is in Kingston in Tasmania. Hello, Sue. Welcome along. Oh, thank you, Neil, and good morning to both of you. Uh, there's an aspect to the, oh, good morning. There's an aspect to the discussion that hasn't yet been raised as far as I know, and that's the... Um, understanding by many of the Aboriginal people that they were created from the, the earth, from Australia itself, from this continent. And the people of Hermansburg have acknowledged this as their embryonic ancestors being raised from the soil by the spirit, the power of the spirit. And so there's so much that's still not understood as far as the origins of our First Nations people and um, it clashes science and religion in terms of the Adam and Eve story and the um, scientific carbon dating of the Aboriginal people about 65,000 years. So one would think based on the fact that the Aboriginal people are from this land, the earth, and the rest of us have come from European countries where our origins began, that surely they must be given a voice and be given um, credit for being the honourable people they are. And as you have so you're raising you're raising some important points, um, and there might be I'll get uh, certainly get Gordon's thoughts here too, and uh, the debate over how the Aboriginal people got to Australia, and uh, there's a creation version of that uh, coming down from the north across land bridges, ice bridges, such things in an ice age. Uh, the thought of spirits uh, rising from the soil of Australia, um, some align those sorts of thinkings, uh, and that may be aligning a Dreamtime legend base with animism or paganism, uh, those sorts of things. So we interpret those sorts of things as Christians, don't we? But, Gordon, what are your thoughts here for Sue as uh, she's talking through these things? Well, I'm, I'm no expert, but I've certainly tried to, to read a fair bit and listen a fair bit, um, and I think that's a really interesting issue that Susan Sue's raised. Um, 
I, I think if we look at Genesis, we, we do see that that that, um, that God basically breathed on on the on the ground, um, and um, in Genesis two, and then when we when um, in Genesis three, it mentions that you know we are from the dust, and then we go back to the dust in terms of death. So that's so that kind of language is is biblical language. Now, um, so there's the, there's a connection between God's spirit, and then there's then there's the dust. Now we all come from different dust, if you like. Now the indigenous people come from come from this dust, uh, red dust, if you if you like, in this particular context. But God's spirit is the creator spirit who's moved over the face of the waters, etc., etc., and presumably that means the lands as well. And so I think. Um, there, there are different versions of it, but but by and large, it seems that in in terms of Aboriginal dreaming and that they talk about the, a a great Creator God. There's a recognition of that. They use their own kind of language for that, and there are, there are missionaries and others and anthropologists from Hermansburg who are basically Lutheran pastors, who were the ones who've actually um, they've led the way in terms of anthropology. These were Christian pastors who led, who led the way late in the 18th, in the 19th century. Um, so I think we we need to take that very seriously, and I don't think um, there are necessarily conflicts between that and a, and a, and a, a, a Christian perspective. Um, yeah, that would be my. And uh, Gordon, you highlight that as so many do say, there are similarities between. Uh, the dreaming uh, foundations of origins and uh, the Christian understanding of going back to Genesis, the Judeo-Christian foundation. Sue, thank you so much for your call, Sue. We're about to go to news. Before we uh, develop any more thoughts here, Gordon, let's take calls from listeners and uh, see what listeners have to say, contributions. Roseanne is in Everton Park in Queensland. Hi, Roseanne. Welcome along. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I think before there's any discussion on The Voice or anything at all about all this, everyone needs to know who qualifies to be an Aborigine. Now, I grew up in a family with no Aboriginal blood. And then my nephew married a girl who was one-eighth Aboriginal blood. They've had three children who now, the eldest 21 now, and they therefore are one-sixteenth Aboriginal blood. Now, at one-sixteenth Aboriginal blood, they qualify for all the benefits and all the who knows what that Aborigines are entitled to. Now, there was no shortage of money in that family. They, all their, you know, friends, school, everything was white, white, white. Now, I also have a sister who's married. They couldn't have children, so they adopted a couple of children. Now, the first one they adopted, the end of this story is, he turned out to be 116th Aboriginal blood, which he found out about when he turned 18 and his birth father uh, contacted them. But he grew up, he had no Aboriginal appearance, no one suspected he had any Aboriginality in him. His parents weren't told he had a bit of Aboriginal blood when they adopted him. Rosine, you're raising some really important points here and uh, issues around who qualifies to be Aboriginal. And I guess that if you have uh, some connection there, whether it be one quarter, one eighth, one sixteenth, 
at least you have some sort of connection there. Uh, I think there's concerns I've heard over those who have no real connection, but they're identifying as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and that even concerns, as I understand it, to the Aboriginal community, because as many as one-third of those who do identify as Aboriginal may not actually be Aboriginal uh, with that connection. But let's get a thought or two. Gordon Priest, have you thought through this sort of issue? What are your thoughts for Roseanne? Um, well, I think historically what what has, has happened is that um, with many Aboriginals, they were deliberately um, inter, interbred um, with white people in order to, to breed out the Aboriginal blood. That, that was the kind of language that was used. That's um, not only in the 19th century, but also the 20th century for quite a while. Um, um, and Aboriginal protectors used those, those, uh, that kind of language. They had that role with the government. And it would get down to things like, you know, down to 1 16th, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the, the issue is, are people only constituted by their blood? Now, I think, you know, you're right that, that some Aboriginals have raised these issues. There was a um, SBS um, the, the Tuesday night um, show discussion show, they talked a lot about that, and I found that quite enlightening and the concerns uh, by some. Um, but in, in the case that you mentioned about, well, the father getting in touch at a certain certain stage, that's that illustrates a problem, like just just like the, the problem for my um, in, indigenous cousin that I that I mentioned, that people have um, have been taken away under force um, or they've been forced marriages or um, et cetera, et cetera, going down through the history. Now, now um, we've hopefully not as much, but there are still issues about that with regard to families. So you have to have to look at the, the elements of, um, yeah, people identifying with um, their ancestry and, and people identifying with a particular community and how that goes on. So it's it's it is a, a relevant debate that's that's taking place within Aboriginal communities, and um, and uh, but we need to recognise that a lot of the the context behind that is where there were were forced situations like the stolen generations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's understandable that people want to you know connect back. Um, some may have trivial reasons, but I think there are there are a lot who do have quite substantial and reason, you know reasons for that. Uh, Roseanne in Everton Park in Queensland, thank you so much for your call. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to have your say in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Alex is in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome along. Hello there, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that I heard uh, it was mentioned that. Uh, that God breathed on the on the on the ground. Well, I don't read it that way. I, God breathed on man who he he had formed from the ground, and man became a living soul. That's what I read. And then um, this is a uh, the question, the Aboriginal question. That it's a political question, and the problem is not cannot be solved by politics. Politics is a blunt instrument. We, uh, we need, it's a personal problem and we as people should learn to live together and help each other. That's the only way out of this and of course we need God's help for that.
Alex, good thought there. Uh, your response, Gordon? Um, good, good point, Alex, in terms of that. Um, I, I guess I was, I was speaking generally in, in Genesis. It's both um, there's, a breathing on, there's a breathing on man, um, on, on humanity, um, um, but also there's, um, there's mention of um, the, the spirit's breath in animals as well. Um, and and so this, when when we when we think about that, and we think about that we are from we are we are from the dust and we return to the dust, then there's a then there's a clear connection. There's just sort of one more step in that in that process, if you like. And I may have I may have put it more directly, but um, but that's there. I, I think it's both personal and political. It's a short answer to the second part. Of, of what you've said. Uh, there are lots of issues like that. Um, there's domestic politics as well as, as wider politics. Um, now, hopefully, we, we have more of the kind of community politics to just discuss this, but we hope that that will be in civil sorts of ways. And I think that's what we've got to try and do and, and um, yeah, treat people as persons who are made in the image of God, um, no matter what their views happen to be. Um, Alex, just before I let you go, of course, uh, you were saying politics is a blunt instrument and uh, it's going to cause division. Uh, Does this illustrate, Gordon Priest, the importance of the value of a Christian voice in a reconciliation or a harmonious together uh, living on one land type of process for the future uh, without a Christian uh, reconciliation, humility. Uh, my suspicion is that blunt instrument is just going to be used to bludgeon uh, one side or the other, depending on who's in power. Any thoughts here around the value of our Christian voice? Um, look, I think it's it is it is valuable. Um, it's not the only voice. Um, you know, there needs to be um, well. Well, what we actually see in, in in terms of the way in in Scripture, we see both Jesus listens to people, and then he then he usually often responds to questions or asks questions and and then there's usually a very pithy and and um and uh searching kind of response from jesus and we see the same sort of thing in paul think of him in in uh, athens and he he starts from where they come from in terms of um he walks around he looks at their gods etc um he he says that uh you know that they should only only worship the creator god and uh, so we need to need to think in terms of creative ways like that, that we can get into constructive conversations, which will be um, they'll be about um, these particular issues, but there'll also be there's openings for spiritual sorts of conversations um, around it, and um, and and some of it does actually depend about um, spiritual perspectives. Thank you so much to Alex in Melbourne. Let's take another call. Chris, also in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Yeah, good day, Neil. Thanks for taking my call. Um, first of all, I just want to say uh, I'm, I'm No, and a, a great uh, Aboriginal voice on, on No is at, at a Facebook called uh, Web Radio Coast to Coast Phillip Island. And um, as for that lady before who said the Aboriginals don't have a voice, there's so many organisations representing Aboriginals, it's probably due to incompetence or that most of them have been hijacked by the communist agenda. And this is the, the problem behind the voice, the communist agenda behind it, um, uh, you know, like taking over like uh, the flag, maybe the land rights. 
and then uh, the Aboriginal people themselves will not be benefit any, but uh, those who have made deals, that the elite who have made these deals will then benefit and uh, outside influences could, uh, you know, come in and uh, rob Australia of uh, her, her, her wealth, you know, whatever. Chris, good thought. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Gordon? Uh, Chris, I think I, th- I think that's to say that that's it's communist. Like I think um, you know most most Aboriginals, you know, sort of certainly um, out in um, a, a long way away from the cities would probably say communist. What do you mean by that? Now they're they're communal and probably more communal in their way of operating um, as families and extended families than than we operate in. But there's a lot to be learnt from that, and a lot of that's frankly um, biblical. But um, to to say that this is some kind of communist plot, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's 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 nothing in the language that's being put forward, or um, any of the proposals that is vaguely communist at all. And so I think um, we need to be careful that we don't bear false witness against. And in lots of cases, these are our Christian brothers and sisters, as as well as people made in the image of God. So um, yeah, that's my um, response. You're, you're entitled to have your perspective about that but i think that one's a very long bow to draw Uh, chris in melbourne thank you so much for your call Uh, my suspicion is uh, that chris would be saying it's not necessarily the aboriginal people who'll have that voice but it may be ruled by an activist party within and uh, the divisiveness may well be coming from uh, those who may not necessarily be a representative voice of aboriginal people and we're taking calls that cuts both ways it, it it cuts both ways, left and right. Um, that's right, yes. Uh, that's why manipulation both sides is something we're all discerning in the lead-up to the referendum. Let's take another call. Brett is in Western Australia. Hi, Brett. Welcome. G'day. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, thanks to Chris for mentioning the uh, communist agenda because it's an absolute. It's not something that's hypothetical or thought that this is what's happening. Um, research needs to be done in regards to divide and conquer uh, the old tactics of communism. It's definitely, definitely there. Um, and if you go throughout the communities and talk to the Aboriginals about what's going on, they I have not met one yet that has said that they are in agreement to it. So just some thoughts. All right. Polling might suggest that there's a big support coming from the Aboriginal community. Uh, Brett, uh, what sort of communities did you visit? Uh, have you spoken to some Aboriginal people, as you say? Just uh... Yes, correct. We're actually in um, the Wheatbelt area and around the Aboriginal communities. And also uh, my dad is uh, around in Derby and Broome. Um, now, a good question is uh, also to check the polling system because a lot of it's manipulated as well as um, also the voting scenario. So I'm not sure we're going to get a great outcome from that either. Yep. Uh, Brett, thank you for that. Gordon, a response here for Brett? Um, look, again, following up the response to, to Chris, I think, um, look, you can you can disagree, you can... Um, but I, I think to start questioning um, even the voting system... I, I think that starts to be real conspiracy theories that's going on. I think one of the one of the glories of Australia as a democracy is that we have a very very good voting system, as good as any in the world, and uh, and it's very open and it's very transparent. 
Um, and so I think we need to be careful before we start making those kinds of claims. Well, I think uh, the voting system is good. The polling system is, I think, where uh, Brett is talking here. But, Brett, thank you so much for your well, insight. He did mention voting. But okay. He did mention voting too. Sorry. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Elise in Upper Coomera in Queensland. Hi, Elise. Welcome along. Oh, good morning, Neil. Uh, I just wanted to make a little comment about this morning's discussion. Um, yes, I'm a big no on the voice. Um, I, I think it's a really um, uh, very dangerous situation that is, that's being put before the Australian population to divide our country into races rather than having us all be Australian under the ones uh, under this land that uh, the law of the land. Uh, I've got a great sympathy for um, the particular unique problems that concern um, the indigenous population, and they certainly do need to be addressed. Um, in the past, our examples of how some of these uh, organisations and a great amounts of money have endeavoured to address some of these things, such as APSIC and what have you, and the problems haven't been solved. So that, that's still a work in progress. I don't see the voice as being an answer to those problems. Um, I believe that the Indigenous folk do have a voice because they have the right to vote, to approach any member of parliament, to um, have a proper representation um, in in um, in governmental circles and what have you, uh, as any other Australian citizen does. So I see it as very much a, dis- a divisive thing, separating, making making uh, those that are Indigenous and those that are not. Um, so I see that as a very retrograde step in okay. the uh, for the good thought, forward. Elise. Uh, dividing races. Uh, thoughts here from you, Gordon, for Elise. Um, well, the, the division is actually built into the Constitution, unfortunately. The, the, the special race, racial legislation and that was applied to um, Aboriginals in the, in the Constitution um, with Federation. And so the, the steps that have been taken, like in the 1960s with a Liberal Prime Minister um, in recognition of Aboriginal citizenship and others, um, in um, uh, rights to vote, for instance, and and in terms of this, are actually only trying to um, work towards a more um, uh, fair playing field. And and this is actually about Aboriginal being First Nations. It's not actually about race. Um, Stan Grant, for instance, said he he, he doesn't like talking about race at at all. Um, but there is. There is an historical precedent in terms of these being the First Nations peoples and their rights and recognition and their history and et cetera, et cetera, and recognition of that. Now, there, there have been issues with that, Sick. You know, I, I, um, I certainly acknowledge that um, and, and some, um, some Aboriginal organisations, but there also have been some very, very um, well-run ones. I know people who've been involved in, in leading um, Aboriginal organisations like land rights legis- organisations and legislation in, in Victoria. And I, um, yeah, I'm reasonably well informed by some of the people who um, are very informed and been involved in those things. And there are some that are very, very good. So you get the same kind of spread, I think, in terms of um, white groups as well. I think there's been a bit of an assumption that that Aboriginals are going to be incompetent in a couple of the questions that have been asked. Um, I I think we we actually see growing Aboriginal leadership 
and um, one of my friends, for instance, would go around and he 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 trained and worked with Aboriginal people like um, CEOs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's had a lot of experience in terms of that. I think in terms of um, the actually having um, with you, your illustration is about one person saying each person has has the right to go and talk direct to a, par, a, a politician. But we also have organisational groups that get recognition and they have, um, in fact, access as representatives. Democracy works on rep, on, on a represent, representational basis and groups can have access to politicians. And this is actually recognition of Indigenous people as a group and, and what the, the voice... Um, to Parliament was based on a lot of consultation amongst many, many Aboriginal groups. So, so just to try and um, you know balance the picture there, I think. Elise, thank you so much for your call. Let's squeeze in one more call. Uh, Nikki is in Country Victoria. Hi, Nikki. Need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Oh, um, thank you very much for putting forward this conversation. Um, we were talking about government and trust and. Um, relying on the system but I've been following quite frequently and when news media reports that um, our Prime Minister is saying if it doesn't get up in the referendum he's going to legislate it anyway doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the op- you know the ability to choose. Uh, good thought. Uh, and uh, South Australia's uh, down this track uh, legislating their own voice to the South Australian Parliament. Uh, some are saying, what's the use of having a uh, divisive constitution vote when the government could legislate it anyway? Uh, thoughts here, Gordon? Well, I think um, the difference between legislation and constitution is a very big thing. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Constitution basically frees up um, an, an area. Um, it's away from the constant change and sort of um, the, 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 the thrust of political um, debate that you get in sort of three-year cycles. This has something that means that you don't you know, get a com- complete change in terms of, say, health policy going from one government to another every three years. There has been too much history of that, frankly, in Aboriginal affairs, and that has caused major problems for Indigenous people. So um, constitution is at a a different level, and that's why the government is going for that constitutional um, process. Um, But there are other things that different states have been doing. Victoria has a treaty process, for instance, and there are some other states. um, I think ACT is going through that. and I presume South Australia is probably going through that as as well at the moment. Um, so the different aspects of the actual process and some get worked through at the state level. And certainly a lot more to talk about on all of these issues. Thank you so much for to, to Nikki in Country Victoria for your insight. Time has run out. Thanks, Nikki. And uh, wonderful uh, insights once again today uh, from listeners and uh, good responses too from Dr. Gordon Priest. Uh, Gordon, for people to follow through and connect with you, uh, whether they've got a, a, a positive thing to say or even a negative things to say, uh, through the Ethos website, ethos.org.au. Is that the best connecting point? Yeah, that's the best connecting point. 
Yeah. So ethos.org.au. And, of course, Ethos is the Evangelical Alliance's Centre for Christianity and Society, ethos.org.au. There's so much more to say. There's, uh, you know, no one's set a date yet. So who knows whether they will have a, a referendum coming up in October or whether it will be put on the back burner and pushed off until the new year. Who knows? Uh, we shall wait and see. But, Gordon, uh, lots more to say, and uh, thank you so much for uh, great insights today on this whole issue on uh, on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been good to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 